Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. So thankful that all of you are here today, especially if this is your first time joining us. We never take it for granted that you would choose to intentionally carve out a part of your week and spend it here with us. I believe actually one of the greatest promises that the living God offers you is that as you draw close to him, he will always draw close to you. And so my challenge, my charge to you would be to keep coming back, keep exploring. The God that we worship around here is not going to keep you at an arm's length. He longs, in fact, to be close to you, to, to have a relationship with you. We are continuing in a series this morning uh, that we began a little over a month ago titled Following Jesus 101. And, and what we're doing in these three months leading up to Easter is exploring uh, what are most commonly referred to as spiritual disciplines. But, but around here, we're opting instead for the language practices of Jesus. Uh, because the reality is, is everyone wants the life that, that Jesus modeled and, and then describes so well right here. And this is kind of our theme verse for this series. This is the biographical account of the life of Jesus according to a guy who went by the name of Matthew. And he captures some of Jesus's words for us. He says, come to me, Jesus, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I, he says, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find, there's that word again, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. See, see, we all want this life. There isn't a person watching right now who wouldn't want an easier, lighter life. But but for too many of us, we're, we're unwilling to adopt the lifestyle that leads to said life. But, but as we've been trying to drive home in this series, there, there aren't any shortcuts. If you want the life, then, then you have to do what, what Jesus did. You have to adopt those rhythms that made up Jesus's life as your own. So, so like Jesus, we're, we're simply inviting you to receive his lifestyle as, as an invitation. So, so far in this series, we've spoken about reading and studying scripture. We've, we've talked about prayer. Uh, last week, we spoke about silence, solitude, and meditation. Uh, if you've missed any of those weeks, uh, you can always conveniently get yourself caught up at grumlaw.com slash messages, uh, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you grab your podcasts. And, and today, uh, we move on to another practice of Jesus that, that, I, that I guess he, he kind of did a good job modeling. Uh, service and, and sacrifice. This was, and, and will be, I suspect, the easiest of all the weeks to prepare because uh, there's frankly no lack of content in the biographical accounts of the life of Jesus where Jesus would speak to and more importantly model, model the importance of placing the needs and desires of others uh, ahead of your own. Now, now, as such, uh, nothing speaks more, in, in, at least in the life of, of the follower of Jesus, to, to, to the impact that Jesus has had on you on you, that then consistently placing the needs of others ahead of your own. Seriously, if you, for instance, begin reading and studying the Bible, as your pastor, I will get really excited about that. But, but candidly, lots of people read the Bible, including, for instance, atheists who are just kind of interested in learning about the life of Jesus. So, so a lot of people read and study the Bible, but yet fail to actually follow Jesus. You can begin to pray on a regular basis. And again, as your pastor, I'm going to get really amped up about that. But, but talking to God, uh, when you think about it, doesn't actually require that much from, from you. 
Giving a portion of your finances back to God. While that is a significant step, and usually for Americans, honestly, our last holdout when it comes to God, especially in our very American consumeristic society. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that God has transformed your life. I mean, plenty of people, they they give out a guilt or, or, or a fear that if they don't, God might like smite them. I mean, I, I can go on and on, but, but you want to know what's almost impossible to fake? What, what you cannot keep up in large order, or at least on a consistent, daily, ongoing basis, unless Jesus has truly grabbed a hold of your heart? That. Placing the needs and desires of others ahead of, of your own. Because though you may muster up the willpower to give up like a random Saturday a couple times a year, that though you may occasionally get over yourself enough to go help out a neighbor, that the gravitational pull toward self, come on, we can be honest, right? Self usually prevails. In fact, when it comes to self versus others, self almost always wins. It's why you can't fake it. It's, it's what makes service and sacrifice like so difficult. And it's why service and sacrifice are the loudest, the most obvious, clearest indicator of a heart that is truly following Jesus. And the reality is, is I don't really have to convince any of you of this, right? When you think of the people that you look up to most from a follow me as I follow Christ perspective, it's, it's these people, right? The, the people that consistently place the needs and the desires of others ahead of their own. I mean, sure, as you dug more into their life, you respect the fact that they give such a significant portion of their finances away. You admire their commitment to the scriptures. You have sat back in awe at the authenticity of their prayers. But but this, this is what sets them apart. I mean, they're the first person to drop their Saturday plans at the lake to to help a friend move. They're the first person to deliver a meal after after you have a kid. They're willing to just sit and listen as you explain your, your latest work crisis. They don't merely say, whatever you need, hey, I'm here. They actually model that. In fact, even when you don't ask, they just have a way of knowing, and, and rather than just talking about it, they, they do. And, and even those of you who are watching right now and you're still not sure about Jesus, I mean, you're, you're still kind of exploring. We're, we're glad you're here. You're trying to figure all of this out. That this is actually one thing you are sure of. That that even though selfishness comes so natural and consistent selflessness seems next to impossible, at least for you, you're sure that when you do see that selflessness consistently modeled by another person, you you like it. You, You want more of it. I mean, every single person watching right now, you want your friends and your boss and your coworkers and your neighbors and your parents and your siblings and your kids, your teachers. We want everyone around us to be more selfless. When we see it, we're drawn to it. We wish we had more of it. Because every single one of us, here's the reality, right? We have all experienced how much better it, it makes not only our lives, but, but the lives of the people around us. So, so, so where, do, where do these people get that from? Well, there is one guy who modeled this better than anyone else in the history of the world, and that is far from an exaggeration. Uh, His name is, of course, Jesus. Here is, in fact, how far Jesus would would take this, this this idea of service and sacrifice. I'm I'm saving the best for, for first. As Paul notes in his early letter to the Christian church in Philippi, though he, being Jesus, was God on an equal playing field with God, is God, he did not think of equality with God as as something to cling to. 
Instead, he, he gave up those divine privileges. He, he readily relinquished them and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as, as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and, and would die a criminal's death on a cross though he did nothing wrong. So, so rather than using his authority to level up for, for his own gain, for his own benefit, he instead would leverage his authority for the benefit of the people around him, namely all of us. Jesus would take service and sacrifice further than, than any person had ever taken it and frankly ever will. Jesus would, would sacrifice everything, not just a Saturday afternoon, not, not just a couple hours here and there, not just a portion of his finances, everything up to and including his own life. And, and this is yet another example where we as followers of Jesus living post his death and resurrection, we, we really have no excuse. Here's what I mean by that. Throughout Jesus' time on, on this earth, not only would, would, would he model this extraordinarily well, he, he would also teach regularly on this topic of service and sacrifice. And, and when Jesus would teach on this topic, there was, like today, always a bit, of, a bit of pushback, always a bit of trepidation, because people back then, like today, were more selfish than selfless. That There was and forever will be a stronger pull towards self than, than others. But, but all of us, again, all of us watching right now, we, we don't really have an excuse because we now know just how far Jesus would take this. J Jesus wasn't the first one to teach on service and sacrifice. This is actually, you know, when you think about it, pretty common stuff. I mean, even in our incredibly secular post-Christian world, service and sacrifice are, are pretty universally embraced virtues. I mean, everyone sees the merit here. But when Jesus would die a criminal's death on that cross so that each of us might have the opportunity to experience new life through him, well, now, now all those teachings on, on others over self, on service, on sacrificing, on leveraging your talents, your gifts, your abilities for the benefit of other people, they, they carry a little bit more weight. Let me give us just, just one example. This is uh, one of my all-time favorite passages uh, in, in the entire Bible because of the candor and the authenticity, because of what I find that the humor of it. Uh, Jesus, uh, in this moment, he has just got done telling his disciples, that is his closest friends, these guys that he spent virtually every waking moment with uh, for a three-year period, that, that eventually, he, he tells them, hey, eventually, and, and actually the not-so-distant future, I am going to be killed. And, and he lays it out in great detail. I mean, he's just pouring his heart out to his closest friends. I mean, it's such a tender, vulnerable moment. And then like, like right after, when I say right after, like immediately after, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, two of the disciples, they come over and, and they spoke to him, Jesus. Teacher, they said, we, we want you to do us a, a favor. So again, tells him about his impending death. Now, Jesus, will you do us a favor? And, and you would expect that, <laughs> that what would follow, considering what Jesus just shared with them, would at least take into account Jesus' vulnerability. Jesus says, what? What is your request? They replied, when, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and, and the other on, on your left. So, so, so when you're sitting there in the top seat, we, we want to be on, on either side of you. In other words, they're completely thinking about themselves because the disciples, you see, they're still holding out hope that eventually Jesus is gonna like flip the script on like this whole servant leader thing and he's gonna become this great king in the way that every other earthly king has, has been great. 
So, so, so they know that Jesus, if, if that time comes, he's gonna be sitting in the penthouse, but, but they want the corner offices. Jesus will obviously be in the top spot, but being number two, well, that's not so bad. Hey, can we be in like those number two spots? And, and, and the other disciples, that they're kind of like, kind of listening in, leaning in, trying to piece together what James and John have asked, and, and they start to figure it out. And you would expect that they would be so angry, so frustrated at James and John for being so inconsiderate. I mean, how could they ask such an insensitive question at a time like this? And, and in fact, they are. When, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. I mean, they are so mad, so mad at James and John that they were behaving in such a selfish, self-centered way, All right? Well, no, they, they were indignant, but, but not, for that, not for that reason. They're mad because James and John beat the rest of them to the punch. They're mad that James and John asked the question first, and now they're worried that because James and John got there first, that, that they're going to be in the top spot, and, and the rest of them are going to kind of be like on the outside looking in. And, and so Jesus, <laughs> he sits them down. And, and, and rather than scolding them, rather than being like, oh my gosh, you guys are like the bunch of most selfish people I've ever met in my life, he, he instead, he offers up yet another lesson on service and, and sacrifice. So, so Jesus, he calls them together and he says, okay, you know, and they're, they're, they're honing in here because again, keep in mind, they're all, they're all arguing with each other, they're mad at James and John, tensions are kind of high. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. To which all of the disciples would have been sitting there nodding their heads going, yeah, exactly. This is exactly why we wanna be on your left and we wanna be on your right because we don't want to have orders barked at us. We wanna bark orders at people. We don't want to be told what to do. We rather want to tell others what to do. Jesus, you don't have to explain this to us. This is exactly why we want to be on your left and on your right. Jesus like, okay, glad you're tracking with me. He says, "But, but among you, and now he's talking to all of us. Among you, it, it will be different. <laughs> and, and again, now the disciples are like, well, how, how different? And, and Jesus had to be thinking, well, you're about to see. And, and again, when he says you here, he's, he's talking to everyone listening right now who is actually committed to, to following him. But, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of, of everyone else. And they're like, wait, what? How, how's anything going to get done? I mean, that sounds like the complete opposite of everything that we have ever been taught, that we have ever had modeled for us. But, but come on, here, here's the truth, right? For any of you who have ever been a part of an environment where leadership leads like Jesus is describing here, you know how much, come on, better it is, how much healthier it is, actually how much more productive of an environment that is. And, and then Jesus, he throws in this, this final line, which to the disciples, it, it sort of felt like an afterthought. But, but all of us, again, with the benefit of hindsight, we, we know that, that it was anything but. He says, for even the Son of Man, that's a title he would frequently use for himself, for even Jesus came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, if there was anyone in the history of the world that would have had every right to leverage his authority for the benefit of himself, I mean, come on, it was Jesus. He's the Son of God. But, but he did the, the exact opposite. One more example. 
This one, as, as his impending death loomed even closer, I mean, it's like right around the corner. He's about to eat his final meal with, with his closest friends. I mean, imagine the inner turmoil going on in Jesus, knowing what, what is soon going to take place. And, and John, his biographical account, offers us this little, little detail. It's very important. It says, Jesus knew, fully aware, wasn't lost on him, nobody had to tell him, that the Father, God the Father, had given him authority over everything. Everything. And that he had come from God and would return to God very soon, actually. So you would expect, given all that the world has modeled, given all that the world has shown us, that, that, that Jesus in this moment, as his impending death is like right around the corner, even again if he was this great servant leader for the entirety of his time on earth, that in this moment he would ask his disciples to cater to his every need, especially knowing again what would happen next. I mean, that would be, that would be understandable, reasonable even. But, but not with Jesus. He, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And, and the disciples in this moment, they are watching in utter disbelief as, as what they fear is about to go down is actually going to go down. I mean, they're whispering to each other, he isn't about to do what we think he's going to do, right? Like, like there's no choice. They're, they're getting squirmy. They're, they're getting uncomfortable. They're, they're feeling convicted. I mean, they can barely watch. And and then what they were hoping wouldn't happen, it, it did. Jesus, Jesus doesn't just offer a teaching on service and sacrifice. He shows them exactly, exactly what this looks like in the kingdom of heaven. The, the unthinkable happens. He began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, now, very practically speaking, this is just, it's just gross because feet back at this day, they, they were a lot dirtier than they are here in 21st century America. There's not paved roads. It's all dirt. A animals everywhere along with all of their deposits. No closed-toed shoes. Sandals and bare feet, that was just the norm. This was something cleaning feet that you either did yourself because you were too embarrassed for someone else to see your feet or, or it was something that was reserved for like the lowliest of servants or for a slave. Certainly not a job for the individual who is at the top of the food chain, who, who had authority over literally everything and would soon be returning to God. And, and I hope you're catching this. It's not an accident that John writes those words right before Jesus does this, that, that, that he tells us very explicitly that Jesus had authority over everything. He wanted the readers of his account of the life of Jesus, you and I very much included, to try and wrap our heads around just how ridiculous, just how appalling this would have been. Jesus' disciples, they're watching this go down and they're having flashbacks to the moments where those same hands that are now washing their nasty feet were the same hands used to, to open blind eyes, to, to heal lame legs, to, to multiply enough food to feed the masses. Countless miracles, so many people healed. And now those same hands were scrubbing their disgusting feet. And, and Peter one of those disciples, one of Jesus' closest friends responds much like, well, I think probably many of us would have responded. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are, are, are you going to wash my feet? He, he's going, you're not about to do that to me, right? Because Jesus, seriously, I'm not worthy. I cannot let you do this. I mean, if anyone should be washing feet here, it should be me washing yours. This is so out of order. Jesus replies by saying, hey, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but 
so important, someday, someday, Peter, and not too far from now, someday you, you will. We do. We understand, we know, because we know the events that are soon going to follow. We know exactly, exactly how far Jesus would take this. And then the line that is, that is basically this entire teaching in, in one sentence, a line so subtle that, come on, for most of us, we miss it. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. He's going, hey, what I am introducing into this world isn't, isn't a slight tweak from, from what has become so normative. It's, it's, it's a total departure. There is a new way of doing things in my kingdom. In fact, Jesus says, the hallmark to my kingdom, the sign that you have allowed my teachings, my life to actually sink in, the, the indicator that you have actually chosen to follow me, not just believe, will be the degree to which you place others ahead of yourself. Nothing, nothing will testify more greatly to your following, to your fellowship than, than this. And, and you think washing your feet is a bold step in that direction? Wait and see what will happen a couple days from now. And he says, you call me teacher and, and Lord, and, and you're right, because that's what I am. And, and since I, your Lord and teacher, remember, when, when we would call him our Lord, that means we submit to him, we listen to him. And, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you, and it doesn't get much more direct than this, right? You ought to wash each other's feet. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do. Don't just talk, don't just listen. Do as I have done to you. It, it doesn't get much more clear than that, does it? So the minute you think you're something special, the minute you think you're more important than the people around you, that is just a mental cue to get down on your knees and start washing some feet. And, and here's the deal. R regardless of where you find yourself today on this whole faith journey, th this is one of those special areas, this is one of those practices that Jesus advocates for that will have a universally positive impact on you as well as the people around you. So, so, so even if you're watching today and you decide ultimately to reject Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you would still be wise to cultivate this practice in your life because undeniably it'll make you a better spouse. It'll make you a better parent, a better friend, a better boss, a better coworker. As we've already discussed, and big disclaimer, because this tension usually surfaces when this practice is brought up, this does not come natural. And, and as such, most people admittedly take the approach because I don't feel like it, I'm not going to embrace it. I'm not gonna practice it. But, but again, there's no cheat code, there's, there's no shortcut. The only way for this practice to have the impact on you and the people around you that Jesus longs for, that Jesus desires, is by frankly getting over yourself and essentially forcing this to be a regular, a routine part of your life. Meaning, serving once a year at that community outreach event, it isn't really going to help to transform you from a person marked by selfishness to a person that's marked by selflessness. I mean, it's nice, it's not a bad thing to do, but it will do little for the condition of your heart. It has to be a regular, a, a routine thing. And slowly but surely, you'll, you'll see that, that heart of self-focus turn to a heart that genuinely puts others first. So, so let me put this really plain. Wait until you feel like it, and you never will. Selfishness will, will continue to reign supreme. 
So, so, so let's end this morning by making this very, very practical. Uh, two habits to, to step into this practice of Jesus and transform that heart of selfishness to a heart of selflessness. All right, two habits. Number one, ask daily, what can I do to help? Ask daily, what can I do to help? And, and then don't just ask the question, because some people actually do do this. They, they say, what can I do to help? And then they just kind of like disappear. You, you have to actually do. Ask what I can do to help, and, and then actually step into that thing and, and do it. In your home, at your place of work, in the classroom, wherever your day takes you, ask this question at least once a day. And then actually do that thing. Unload the dishwasher, clean up the mess, inconvenience yourself to the benefit of the people around you. That's number one. Number two, serve weekly. Join a team in the local church. Now, it's not lost on me that this one <laughs> will come across as incredibly self-serving to some of you, but church, uh, let it be noted that I, Shea Prisk, did not choose the local church as the vehicle to take the life-changing, eternity-transforming message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. That that was all Jesus, that, that was his idea. And as his chosen instrument, that is the local church, you have the privilege, think about this, you have the privilege of jumping on board with what God has chosen, with what God has elected. How great is that? He, he invites you to play a role in his redemptive plan for the world. And, and listen, I know that you probably have a lot of reasons that, that, that you haven't joined a team yet. Sunday's like my only day off. My, my wife and I, we'd have to start driving separate. It seems like, I hear this all the time, it seems like you guys like have everything pretty well covered. I just don't feel like I have much to offer, or, or honestly, the one that sits above all the rest that nobody really has the courage to say out loud. I just, I don't, I don't really feel like it. <laughs> and, and here's the deal, and this has actually happened on multiple occasions. Uh, if you sat me down and you explained to me like the reasons that you can't regularly serve on a team, honestly, I probably would be tempted to give you a pass. But you wanna know what? Um, Jesus wouldn't, because he knows what, what that heart of selfishness does to, to the soul. And more importantly, he knows what you are missing out on when you begin to cultivate this in your life. He knows about all those downstream effects that will never be a part of your life unless you begin to make this a routine thing. I mean, again, I know some of you will think this. I know, I just, I kind of like just attending. I just kind of like being anonymous. I, I kind of like just taking all this in and then honestly using this as a tool to somehow improve my life. I, I like being, and I know this is gonna sound really harsh, some of you again, but you wouldn't admit this out loud, but it's the reality. I like being selfish. And, and listen, that is fine if you're brand new around here. We're, we're, we're glad that you decided to engage in this in some way. That, that is fine if you're just believing. But, but if you're watching today and you're committed to actually following, it, it's time to frankly get over yourself and begin to reorient your heart that almost exclusively focuses on self and begin to redirect it towards others. I mean, after all, we've given you a, a lot of different reasons, I think, practical ones to, to, to engage in this way. But the one that honestly sits head and shoulders above the rest, at least for the follower of Jesus, even the son of man, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. When you consider what Jesus has done for you, how could we begin to not cultivate this in our lives? Let us not be a people who merely believe in Jesus. Let's actually, let's actually follow him.